regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Cindy from Blue Tree Coaching. Cindy, welcome. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. So Cindy, let me give you a little background, is a yoga teacher, life coach, lawyer. She has a daughter who is senior year of high school Her pat and married very happily. Her passion in life is helping others live their best life through mindful coaching as she creates intentional results with her clients. Her purpose is to help clients to discover the same kind of joy and fulfillment that she has created for herself in her own life, despite the hardships she's faced, which we will look into. I love how clear you are with your purpose. You know, I think it took me a long time to find that clarity, but after sort of being at this thing called life for, you know, a number of decades, yes. <laughs> it does get clearer and clearer and having clarity feels really good. <laughs> so not that you need any street cred, but Cindy is there, the, our mutual great friend is Scott Simon, who taught me about the North Star and your best friend was just on here. Um, Susan. So like my listeners have, you have, you have street cred here and what's a fabulous people. What I want my listeners to understand, the reason why I'm having you on is because you're so intentional with what you do and how you help clients. And it's so important for people to understand that if you choose to go to the process of divorce, whether it's your choice or someone else's and you're in it, there's so much that needs to be taken care of on so many levels, but the North Star Divorce's goal is to not mess up our kids because of our divorce. We're going to mess them up for other reasons, but we'd like this not to be it because we have control over that. And what you do with clients, which we're going to get into, is help them make those decisions and then they have to take the actions. Is that correct? hundred percent. It's all about managing your thinking to get into right action. Awesome. So before we get into all of the good coaching, amazing stuff, I want to take you back before this current awesome marriage to your first marriage. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that love story, what you found in that person that made you think it was going to be your forever, and then what the dynamic was that kind of led you away from that forever? Yeah, totally. So I met my first husband when I was in, we were in law school together. So we were at Stanford and we were, this is back in the mid nineties. So we're going back a ways here and we were really good friends um, and then started dating. And he is a one, he was and is a wonderful person, funny, smart, engaging, caring. And I think he was the first person I'd obviously had relationships, but I think he was the first, first person that I felt like really loved me. Mm-hmm. And at the time we got married, it, it, it certainly felt unconditional. And as we evolve and grow, people sometimes grow in different directions. Now we were only married for two years. We were lived together for a couple of years before that dated for a couple of years before that. 
um, we did not have children together. So that made the divorce obviously much, much easier. It was more like a bad breakup, break. right? And I started to realize, I had really, um, it's funny because I remember a moment when I was in undergrad in college having this thought, I don't want to live my life by inertia. I'm not even sure what made me have that thought. And what do you mean by that? Can you explain that? I meant like, I don't want life to just happen to me professionally. I'm just friends with people because they're there. I'm in a relationship because he's there. I want to be more intentional. I don't want life to just unfold as if I'm in the passenger seat of it. I want autonomy and authorship. And then somehow I got very far away from that. I really did. And during the course of my relationship, before I was married even, so in my mid-20s, which is an unusual time, I developed a pretty severe binge eating disorder. And in there, done that, have the t-shirt and all the things I can't eat now because of it. Wait, there's a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. It's like, I hate what I've done to my body and it's probably never going to be the same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that was a super confusing time for me because mm. um, now I look back and I can label it, but I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was a horribly messed up person. But something must have felt out of control for you because the reason why I did that, at least me, was I needed to have control over something. Like you were just saying, you totally. felt out of control. So that was an area you could control. Yes. And it was an area where I was completely out of control and ignoring the other parts of my life that I could have, but wasn't having any kind of mastery over. So the relationship was like date, move in. Obviously now we have to get married. It's funny because I had this thought about not wanting to live by inertia. And here I'm in full blown inertia and rebelling against that, against myself with my eating disorder. And I remember there being a moment in my marriage where things- Wait, can you pause for a second? You yeah. said these words. Obviously, that meant we needed to get married. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? Like, if you heard your daughter saying that, what would you say? Pause. Pause. Slow down, sister. Right? But here's the thing that I keep bringing up that's so interesting to me. Because when I met my first husband, I was 24. He was 32. We met on J-Day. And he did not have me in his age group for looking because he thought a 24-year-old Jewish girl was too young to want to get married. And I was like, please. We're yeah. Jewish girls. We're taught from the beginning of life you must find a husband. And so this outline of how it needed to go, but think about us in our 20s. Like, we don't know anything. And I the idea nothing. that we're going to pick a partner to, to manage life with, you go from high school, which is the worst, to right. college, which you're totally out of control and doing all these different things, to yes. now I'm going to marry somebody, which is basically <laughs> what we do. And I love that you said, so that meant we were going to need to be married. And so one, I, one thing I want to always say to people who are post-divorce is slow down Yep. because you don't know what you want yet. You just got out of, you know, and I, I can tell you, my husband knows, my current husband, I did not slow down and yeah. I love my partner, but we made a lot of rash, quick decisions because we were so fast. Yep. So keep going. So you, you need to get married. Relate to that as well. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... We did start to grow apart and some main major differences in our values started to become obvious. That you didn't know before? They hadn't been clarified or okay. amplified as they were by 
external circumstances. Yeah. And I had an aha moment. We were having a fight and he said, are you even in love with me anymore? Ooh. And my immediate thought was like a scream in my head was no. no. And then what do you do with that? Obviously, know. you got to go. <laughs> Did anyone know in your life what was going on? No. Yeah. We looked like, you on know, paper, perfect. the perfect couple. Not yeah. only were we like law school sweethearts, so all of our law school friends knew us as like this couple, we actually were working at the same law firm at the time. So power couple continues. Right. Um, nobody knew because I didn't intentionally mean to, the lie, to lie to the people in my life, but I was lying to myself. Yes. And so when I had that moment of truth in my own heart and everything fell apart very quickly, people in my life were shocked. And I understand I would have been shocked had I been in their shoes, but it was a lack of authenticity with myself. Yep. I can relate to that so hard. Yeah. That was painful. That was painful. It, it was so painful. And I bet you had those, all those, which we're going to get to in a minute about the shoulds, but you had all of this, this plan, like two yeah. years. I'm not, I can't leave after two years. What is this yeah. going to look like? We just have this new house. We have this new life. Totally. We just, we're basically just putting away the wedding gifts, right? Like, right. so what was the process of divorce like for you two without kids? What was, it was still painful. What was it like? Yeah, I wish I had some of your guidance back then. <laughs> I very quickly moved out and got my own small little apartment. And I literally gave him everything. Because why? You felt, bad. you felt house. bad. I felt bad. And you didn't want to deal. I didn't, I didn't want to be attached to any of the trappings. So he got all the trappings, which he wanted. And yeah. I wasn't going to fight him on that. Yeah. And I remember having this very distinct thought in my new tiny little apartment, all I need are my books and my photo albums. Mm -hmm. And I basically just started over financially yeah. and in every other way. And because we didn't have kids and I was a, you know, uh, an adult with a job, <laughs> right. that was fine. That was fine with me. Right. Yeah. So from that divorce, were there any... Like looking back, do you wish you would have done anything differently? Definitely. Or I wish I would have done? communicated more authentically with myself and then him during the marriage. By the, time, the blow up? No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was ignoring signs. He was too. I mean, and yeah. he is a good guy. And I want to acknowledge that. And then I, I say this in every episode. There, this is the only living situation that I can imagine that requires two people to keep it alive. You can raise a child alive. You can tend a garden by yourself. You can raise a child by yourself. You can tend a garden by yourself. You can raise an animal by yourself. You cannot keep a marriage alive by yourself. Mm -hmm. And if two people are not communicating, which is why I hate when people ask the question when someone wants to get a divorce or they're getting a divorce, they go, oh, who wanted it? Mm -hmm. And I hate that question because the person that's asking it is not understanding what it takes to be in a marriage because two people cannot... Like even in mine where my ex was so, and, and I'll say this to his face because we have a good relationship. He was so passive about everything that was going on. I would come to him and I'd be like, I want this. I need this from you. I want to connect like this. And he would just say, I'm fine. Yep. This is your thing. And what I always want listeners to understand is there's no such thing as this is your thing when you're in a partnership because if one person in the partnership is not okay, then the partnership is not okay. Yeah and we need to address it together. And so, except in horrible situations that are separate and outside of our like psychological abilities, yeah. 
regular kind of divorces are never one person's fault, even if there's cheating, because there was a space available for that to happen and no one intentionally goes into a marriage for it to end. So where are you guys at today? Do you have a relationship at all? Yeah, we touch base. So he actually no longer lives in town. Um, He is happily married in another state with a family. I'm happily married with a family, you know, in the state where we live. (laughs) And um, we touch base every few years. And he's a really great guy. And I think he was not the right person for me and I was not the right person for him, but I I will always have a soft spot in my heart for him. Um, And I hope that he would say the same thing. And I think he would. So from that, which thank you so much for sharing that, I want you to tell me how you found yourself in this professional position from going from a lawyer to being a life coach and tell us a little bit about the areas you specialize in because we're going to get into them more later. Okay, super. So I've always been, as I said, you know, I'm really interested in the question of what makes a good, satisfied, intentional life. And it's something that I've explored on a very deep level through yoga philosophy, which is a a passion of mine, something that I've studied, that I teach on, that I've written about. And through yoga philosophy, I think that does answer the question of what is a good, meaningful life in a lot of ways. But when I got introduced to the profession of life coaching, I was like, oh, this is the how. Philosophy is the what, this is the how, this is amazing. And so the kind of life coaching I do, I really think of it as mind management, it's thought work. So we know from many areas of psychology that what we think generates how we feel and that everything we do or don't do is based on our emotional realities. So a lot of coaching is thought work. And I work with a lot of people who have self-limiting limiting beliefs or stories of how they're not filling the Can blank. Can you give me an enough. example in relation to post-divorce, what, for example, a woman's self-limiting belief could be? I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I'm never going to find anyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, it, so let's take that one that you just offered up. I hear that all the time. Someone has this thought or belief, and by the way, a belief is just a thought we've had over and over again. Right. That's the thought in their mind. That's what made them not want to leave. That's the fear that was going through their brain as everything was going on. I'm going to be alone forever. Yeah. And by the way, I, I'm familiar with that thought. I for sure had that in my first marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really thought no one will ever love me. Mm-hmm. It's this or it's nothing. And then I actually got to a point where I was like, nothing sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I would rather be nothing than I'd rather this. Be nothing than this. This is not good. Um, and then of course I learned that was false. But so if you take the thought, I'm going to be alone. What, it, what kind of energy or vibration does that create? It's one of scarcity. It's one of fear. And it, when we're in that place, what do we do? We hunker down. Um, we don't take right action that's in line with- We make decisions based on fear. So yeah. if that's your belief, then you're going to make a decision, I should just stay or I'll yeah. choose whatever's next because yeah. I don't want to be alone. Right, right. And that never works out very well. No. And when we're in fear, by the way, that operates at a very um, base instinct level. We're, we're dealing with our reptilian brain that is just like, okay, the only thing that matters is survival. And it's not what gets us to a place of thriving. We're just surviving. Right. So 
what I would then work with the client on is what are some thoughts we can work on getting you to believe that would create something better than fear, confidence, worthiness, self-respect. Um, and that's really what thought work is. How did you go from um, being a lawyer to this? Did you stop practicing law when you had your daughter? No. So I, so I, um, wear a lot of hats. So okay. I, I engaged in the traditional practice of law for many years. Uh -huh. Then when my daughter was little, I started my own um, human resources consulting business. So it's really employment law compliance. And I still do that. Okay. So I have that business through, as I was doing that, um, I really fell in love with yoga and yoga philosophy and became a yoga and meditation teacher. And through that, when I first learned about thought work and coaching work, I was like, as I said, you know, this is how, this is how, yeah, philosophy is what, this is how. I'm smiling, so, listening to all of your resume because <laughs> I remember talking to someone recently who was nonstop like me and I, and he's like, how are you going to do all this? And I'm like, I just, am, I'm going to do it. And he's like, the busiest people are the ones who do the most work. Like yeah. the ones who like, we can do this because we have that drive and, and hunger within us. Yeah. Um, I want you to tell me about the six letter word should. Oh, I think particularly as women, society shoulds all over us and we should all over ourselves. Can you give me some shoulds that, that um, people who are going through divorce or post-divorce might be hearing? One is I should stay. Mm -hmm. Oh, One I was is, told that I should stay. No question. I was too, actually. And I didn't was your family, did your family tell you you should stay? My family told me I should stay. Yeah, my family did too. You know what? Actually, it was a gift because it was so painful to not get that approval because I'd grown up my whole life needing that approval, especially from my parents. And yeah. when they gave me that should, it forced me to have to find my own truth and my yeah. own approval. And we've gotten to a place way better. Like we're awesome and authentic and it took yeah. time. It was painful, but- that was almost a gift that they told me the should because then I had to find out my own if that was real. And what do you think enabled you to find your own truth? Because I think that's something a lot of people really struggle with. Such a good question. So I was joking with my brother about this. There's a magic mirror at our work. And I think everyone actually has one. But the one that I'm talking about was in the bathroom at work at my old, the old place that we worked at. And I was so, I was in so much pain, struggling, struggling. I don't know what to do. And I tried a million things and I Googled and I went to six years of counseling and three marriage counselors. And I asked everybody on earth what I should, should do, which mm -hmm. is insane that yeah. we are asking other people. The only time you should ever ask someone what you should do is in a medical situation where you need a medical person's opinion, right? Because otherwise, how does anyone else know? Right? So I love by that, Carly. Sometimes we should ask a lawyer too. <laughs> yes. No, I agree. I'm married to a lawyer. So I, I agree with you. So I would be in the bathroom. I would, I would outside of the bathroom at work. I knew nothing. I was lost. The second I was in the bathroom, I would turn into the mirror and I would look in the mirror and I would say, gun to your head, Carly, what do you want to do? And I always knew the answer. Oh my gosh. And there was one of those marriage books that our, one of the therapists gave us. And he said, um, there's like 40 million questions in here and you have to answer them all and like score and see like where you are. If you, it was called like too good to leave, too bad to stay or something. It was awful. Um, sorry for the author. I apologize for that. It just, it wasn't what I needed, but there was a gift in that book. Mm -hmm. There was like two trick questions 
And one of the questions said, if you answer this one in this way, then all the other questions are basically void. And it was, if God or a higher power that you believe in whispered in your ear, it would be okay to do whatever it is you want to do, would you do it? And my answer immediately was absolutely. Wow. You know, and so once I knew that truth, I'm kind of like the person that when I know my truth, like, so if any listeners believe in the tooth fairy, you should close your ears. When I found out that the truth was there's no such thing as a tooth fairy, I could never hear that story again and pretend I believed it. Yeah. And so for me, and I imagine for you, once you said out loud, no, yeah, you couldn't take that. But once the bullets are out of the gun, you cannot, you cannot get it back. So true. I think it's so powerful that you were so clear on your truth. And for people who aren't list, who are listening, who maybe aren't yet, I would offer this: keep asking yourself the questions, and then just listen to the answers of your heart. I want to. Sh- that's so. And guess what? be uncomfortable, like be so uncomfortable. I want to share this prayer. It's called my figuring it out prayer. And it's the most uncomfortable prayer I've ever said, not related to children, just related to a relationship. And it says, if you want me to stay, give me the strength and forgiveness to stay. If you want me to leave, help me to be courageous enough to leave. If you want me to not know right now, keep me not knowing. And the not knowing is so uncomfortable But I think what me and you both believe about what our clients have to do is they have to be uncomfortable in order to get to where they want to go. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think this applies to any transition in life, not just divorce. Right. You're going to have to sit in the not knowing and just wait and listen. I would always rather the answer be no in my past because then I could deal with the pain and rejection of the no Mm -hmm. than the not knowing. And as I'm getting older and closer to who I am, I'm realizing more and more that it's okay to not know. Yeah. And I don't have to give, I have a superpower, which I think you might also have and our listeners have, and it's called telling people I don't know. Yeah. And saying, I want to wait and make a better decision. And I'm not ready to answer that right now. Yeah. And then you just have to be brave enough and strong enough to sit in the not knowing. And you are, if you're listening to this. And you are. (laughs) So um, back to the six letter word should. How do you work with your clients about, walking away from that idea of the shoulds. I think you need to learn how to generate answers and approval from the inside out. That is true freedom. And so shoulds tend to be externally driven. And of course, sometimes we impose them on ourselves. But if we learn how to reframe into what is my truth, what is most important to me, what do I really want? Yes. It's my most heartfelt desire. And why? then we move from should I should do this to like, I get to do this. Yes. I love get to. It's my favorite two words. Amazing. I change it all. I always, whenever one of the women I work with says to me, I have to, or I need to, I'm like, no, 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 no. You get to. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. So you change the shoulds. Do you still hear yourself using should in your life? All the time. And then do you stop yourself? Yes. I'm so much more aware, partly from my mindfulness practice, but also from thought work and literally doing like thought downloads in writing. I'll be like, holy moly, Cindy, you just gave yourself 20 shoulds. Like, let's reframe a little. I love that. Tell me about a thought download. A thought download is you pick a topic, usually something you're struggling with, and you're like, let me just see what my sneaky little brain is doing in there. 
And so you literally, what I do is I'll set a timer to five minutes and I will write down all what she's saying. Yeah. Everything she's saying. Were you in the um, weekend a number of years ago where we heard the amazing speaker, I think her name was Neely, um, and she talked about, it was with Ruhi, and she yeah. talked about the two voices that we hear in our head? I don't think so. This is my favorite one, and it goes right with your, right with your. So she said to the group of, of women, by show of hands, how many of you have two voices you hear in your head? And half of us, half of the room raised their hand. And she said... For the half that did not raise your hand, did you just hear a voice that says, I don't hear voices in my head? And then everyone <laughs> laughed, right? And yeah. she explained that the two main voices in our head are basically our like human voice, like our head voice, like, like our person, our body, and then our soul, our God voice, mm -hmm. or our spirit, or whatever makes you comfortable. And she mm -hmm. said, the way that you can tell the difference is that the human, the head voice, always says, I and then the soul God voice says you. And for example, in the morning, like if you set your alarm for 6 a.m. to wake up and meditate and work out and mm -hmm. your alarm goes off, what the first thought we hear is, I'm too tired. I don't want to get up. Mm -hmm. And then the next thought we hear is, you said you were going to get up. Mm -hmm. You promised yourself you were going to get up. Mm -hmm. And so it's back and forth. And what I do with a thought download is I actually have clients text themselves because you can text yourself yeah. back and forth from each voice. Oh and my God, that's brilliant. Yeah, right? So you can hear that voice saying, no, you're going to be alone forever. And then that soul voice saying, that's insane. Like, you'll be okay. You got this. You'll be okay. You got this. Yeah, that's amazing. And there is so much power in awareness and awareness must precede all growth and change. Say that one more time. I love it. I think I said awareness, awareness. must precede all growth and change. I love it. Will you hold on one second? Of I course. Hello. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. We just had a technical interruption with a child. So I want you to tell me about the five branches and how they could help while going through a divorce or post-divorce. Yeah. So the five branches of my coaching model yes. are mindfulness, because as I just said, awareness is everything. Uh, clarity, understanding what's most important to you and why. Compassion, because you cannot move forward from a place of shame or criticism. I think self-compassion and the science behind it is such a powerful tool, especially in big life transitions like divorce. Uh, the next branch is action, because it's really important to move from contemplation into actual movement. And then the final branch is achievement, which I think is really best described as that place where your intentions and your actions mirror each other. And so you're in that sweet spot of alignment. And, and so the way so I work good. with, it's, it feels so good to be on that place. And I work with people to just sort of elevate them, you know, one branch at a time. And that's in your blue tree coaching, which I love, love the name of that. Will you explain to the listeners what the blue tree path is? The Blue Tree Path is my online coaching group. It is a monthly subscription. There's a private website, a private Facebook group. I teach weekly in it. And right now we're doing a body image reboot challenge. Oh. With challenges that are really fun. Can I just say something? I've Please. never met, and I can't say for men because I haven't talked to a lot of men about this, but I work with, I've worked with women for the last 20 years. I have never met a woman who hasn't had body image issues 
I'm 41 and I got to a place this last year where I said, I'm sick of living like this. Yeah. I'm no longer physically doing any of the behavior that was harmful, but I'm mentally doing it. Yeah. And I don't want to live like this anymore. And so it was a conscious decision. I hired somebody to help me, like, not like help me figure out what to eat. Yeah. But help me figure out how to, to change this thought, which is what yeah. you're talking about and how powerful it is as a mother, as a fellow human. And to say to your friends when they're complaining about their body, like you're not allowed to talk about your own body like that anymore. Right. Like it's not acceptable. Right. Don't and do it. To, don't do it in right. your head. Right. And so like, this is such a powerful thing, especially post-divorce for, for people who've had infidelity and they make it about them, which of course it's so hard to not make it about you, but it's actually not. Right. But like to get to a place where you love yourself and you own yourself as is. Yeah. And then with your program, I'm imagining you're also helping them find their goals with that. hundred percent. But the first step is love and accept yourself for where you are, then once you do, sky's the limit. But your goals are not so that you accept yourself. They're just for fun because you already accept yourself. That's really intentional living. So we do challenges like that. What we is the challenge you're doing right now with that? It's the, so there's a whole workbook. It's a month okay. thing where there's homework every week and we have an online community um, and we just started it. So a lot of this stuff is ongoing. That's so cool. Yeah. It's a really- I love challenges because I think it's really important. So I make my clients um, in our five session program, the, the last session is pointing them towards their bucket list. And for me, the challenges are not just physical because they are physical, but they're also mental, spiritual, emotional, because I personally think that all of the different, like I did a challenge once and this was so challenging. Um, I did one year of no apparel. I could not buy any clothing at all. I did the same thing. You I did, did a year of no shopping. Not socks, not underwear, nothing, not shoes. The only, so this is what I found. I want to hear what you found. So the reason why I'm also sharing this with our community is because money is an issue when you get divorced. Like how yeah. am I going to manage this new budget, this new life? And, and, and some of us might have used shopping in our past to make our feelings go away or to hide our feelings. I remember being in Nordstrom Rack once and looking and like picking up a shirt and being like, this shirt is not going to help with what I need help with. Like, this is not the answer. But what I found a couple months in, so the first couple months, I still found myself like wanting to go to like my sale clearance online places just to yeah. check it out. And then I'm like, that's stupid, Carly. That's, we're not doing that right now. And then I found myself realizing the only thing I truly needed within a year was I needed new socks mm -hmm. in which I shared that with my mother who shared me a million of hers because she has a lot of socks. Mm. And I found out that even though I have enough clothes currently, if I don't ever change size to last the rest of my life, that I really only wore a certain amount of them. And my ego doesn't like when other people see me wearing the same thing again and again, even though that's all I ever do anyways. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. What did you find out? Well, I did the challenge because I realized I was numbing my feelings with shopping. That was my, like, I wasn't, I was over my food issues. I wasn't yeah. food or drink or whatever, but I was like, oh my God, I'm buffering by shopping. And every time I shop, I get that little dopamine hit, but that doesn't yeah. actually change anything. So I gave it up for a year. And what I found was so much mental freedom. There was never a question of what's in style, what's out, what do I need? Because I wasn't getting anything. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and it I was felt, a lot of space. Oh, there was so much mental freedom. And I devoted that space and energy to actually growing in ways that are more important than what's, what are you wearing next week to dinner? Right. The answer is it's somewhere in your closet already. So right. let's not worry about it. <laughs> but I love these kind of challenges because it forces us to really take a look. You know, I, I've done like a full day of silence, you know, like all, I like them because I like to push myself. And I think part of what you're coaching and my coaching is, and especially when you're dealing with clients who are in this painful process of divorce or post-divorce is this is the time, like Scott says to you get to write this next chapter. Yeah. And like you said in the beginning, you wanted always to write your chapter. Yeah. You wanted to write your whole story. And, yeah, and everyone can write their own story. And you can. And for my clients, I let them know that you get to write the story of divorce. It doesn't have to be the story that your family or the news thinks divorce is going to be like. You get to decide what that's going to look like. That's so powerful. Right. It doesn't have to be miserable for your kids. Right. Um, we're, we have so much in common. Oh my goodness. Um, will you explain to me how meditation and visualization can help women or men that are struggling with their pain of the divorce? Absolutely. So much of our mental agitation comes from fear about what's in the future or regret about what's in the past. When you have a mindfulness practice, you learn to train your mind to be in the present moment, which almost all the time is not that bad. Hmm. Present moment awareness is a huge skill in a number of things. Learning to find more acceptance rather than resistance. Hmm to be less reactive to external circumstances and have, give yourself the opportunity, as you said, you know, some time ago, to slow down and be more reflective in decision-making. It also, just from a neuroscience level, is a way to tone our nervous system so that we're not making decisions and taking actions out of fear, but more from a place of calm and competence and groundedness and more actually using our adult brain. Yeah, my bestie, um, who I do like all my inventory work with, whenever we're in fear mode about a decision that we have to make, we always ask each other, because we're not emotionally connected to each other's stuff, when does this decision need to be made by? Yeah. And 99% of the time, it's never in that moment. Right. It's, well, if this and this happens, then I need to make that decision. And we're like, okay, well, that's not happening right now. Yeah. So be where you are, because yeah. where you are is the only place that you have a chance, Right. Uh, something that's really become clear to me lately, especially with the pandemic and school starting, and I'm sure you're feeling this, I'm not going to get everything done anymore. Yeah. Like for real. Like I used to be a check, check and I saw that on, on your site that like for like the self-starter type A, like I thrive on look at how many things I can do at once. Yep. And it's just not happening in the same frequency and like success rate that I'd like it to. Yeah. And what I'm trying to focus on today is how am I handling the moments that I get? Because mm. that's all we have. That's beautiful. Right? Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And certainly in this time we happen to be living in right now, it's more important than ever to be able to be in the moment. And if you think about it, what is a life? It is made up of moment to moment experience. Do you know what I love, what you just said about what is a life? I always tell my boys, um, I like to take them to cemeteries, like Lakeview Cemetery is beautiful. We like to walk around and look at the dates. 
And I explained to them, and this is not mine, that every single headstone has the exact same thing in common, whether it's a big fancy headstone or a placard. Mm -hmm. And it's a date they were born, a date they died, and a dash. Mm -hmm. And that dash is your life. Yeah. And what do you want to do with your dash? Yeah. And for most people who are listening, the dash of how their life was going to look like changed for many, many reasons. But what we get stuck in is focusing on, I can't believe that happened or how did this happen or why did this happen instead of this happened now what? Yeah. Right. So let's heal. So leading into now what, you know, in an ideal setting, I would take a client I get them through the basics of what needs to go in their separation agreement. We get rid of all the stuff that's blocking them, their mess. And yeah. we get them to a place where they find tools and find areas that they can like grow in. And then I would hand them to you because mm -hmm. I want you to tell us about the self-care mastery program and what it entails. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 12 week deep dive of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I firmly believe the most important relationship you will ever have is the one with yourself. It dictates everything in the world including your kids in a very big way. So it's really then learning to be the master of your emotions, how to manage your mind, learn to think intentionally, and then get into action. And so what I love so much about the world of coaching, and I know you're right there with me, is it is present and future oriented. Yes. So we're not going to get stuck in the past. Of course, you know, the entire client experience is relevant to what's happening in the future. So I definitely take a whole client perspective, but I'm all about getting you up and out of feeling or being stuck or in a rut and let's look at your future and then go create it. Yes. Which is why they have to probably hang out with me for a little bit first, because yeah. I'm kind of like the hoarder cleaner and I come in and I'm like, like that show hoarders. I'm like, is this serving you anymore? Yeah. Like, how long do you want to hold on to this wedding dress that you had like hermetically sealed? Like, are you ready to let it go? Because that's no longer serving you. It's taking up space in your life Yeah. and let's give it away. So someone else can have it and you can have something new come in, but we, right. We have to get rid of that stuff. What were you saying? I remember when I literally threw away my wedding dress and it was so liberating. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I sold mine at like my mom's like house sale for like a ridiculously small amount of money. Yeah. But then I saw that show Divorce and I wish I would have gotten to wear it when like spray painted, like paintballed each other. Cause I saw someone at a divorce party and they all wore their, their bridal gowns and then they paintballed each other, which was beautiful. Um, yeah. So that didn't happen. Um, so with the mastery program, are they working with you every week for 12 weeks? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's one-on-one wow. -on -one for, yeah, for 12 weeks. And of course, if something comes up one week, that's right. fine. But what I really have found with my clients is those who are seeing the quickest and most sustainable results are showing up and doing the work week after week after week. And for true habit change, three months is a really good um, period of time to build new neural pathways in your brain so that you're doing things differently. You know, I'm so glad you said that. And um, for full disclosure to my listeners and my clients is I reached out to Cindy because you were ahead of me to ask like, how do I go about with setting up my package and how do I go about what I'm offering and what I'm asking for? And you reminded me that all of us need to feel a little bit of a pinch in order to really give ourselves and devote ourselves to what we've signed up for, that we need to feel like this is a sacrifice in a small way 
financially, and yeah. then even way more emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, that we're going to devote ourselves. This is not like some club we're signing up for and then, oh, I just, I'm not going to go. This is one-on-one work where yeah. we're going to, if you want to change, climb on in, right? Uh-huh. But you're going to have to do the work. Yep. Yep. And I often say to my clients, I'm going to teach you some things, but learning is not doing. You've got to do the work. Yes. Use the tools. I love it. I have a question for you about that. Is there a client you cannot work with? Or like, you, do you do like um, a consultation first? Oh, or yeah. they, and then is there ever someone that you, you sit with and you're like, I don't think this is the right match? You know what? I haven't had that experience yet. Say yet, because it'll happen. Well, I did have mm-hmm. one clarity call with someone who I think was more looking for an executive coach than a life coach. So I made a referral, but then she came back and said, no, no, I think I actually want a life coach. <laughs> but I, you know, it, it depends. Like if someone was coming to me and they really needed you first or at all, right. you can tell, Oh, you can totally tell. And I would refer out, right. um, but no, that hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I think see, I had that happen before. Oh, you have. Okay. I was going to say it's a self-selecting group. People who reach out to me, to kind of know what I'm all about. And right, it's true. they've self-selected to even have a call with me. Right. So the, the one time it's happened so far, and I know it'll happen again because it's happened in my other areas of working with people, is the person in our consultation wanted to only talk about the story and how horrible the story was. And they wanted it to stay in that place. They were not willing to understand that we're going to keep going through the story. Yeah. And they, did, they weren't ready to let go of their story, basically. Okay. It doesn't mean that they couldn't in the future, but they were stuck on, you need to understand how horrible my story is. Yep. And what my thing is, is we're going to acknowledge your story and we're going to get through it, but we need to keep going, like you said, present and future. Yeah. So maybe they need therapy before they're ready for coaching. Yes, because I am not a therapist and I cannot <laughs> do that. Um, I have a few more questions and then I will let you go because I know we are in crunch for time. How do you create an abundance mindset? It all starts and ends with your thoughts. So when I get into, as we all do, scarcity mindset, it really is that process I described of whether it's money or time um, or love of your children or someone else. Get all the thoughts down. There is erroneous thinking that there's not enough. But if you look for evidence that not only is there enough, but there's more than enough, that doesn't, this doesn't have to be life, divorce, parenting, a zero-sum game where someone wins and someone loses. You can really reshape your thinking around it, which I think is a secret sauce to all intentional living. That will generate a different feeling, which will get you into a different action, which will create a different result. So it is literally like figure out the results you want figure out the actions you need to get into and reverse engineer your thinking around it. So that's, you're seeing where you want to get to and then you're helping them figure out what do you need to do to get there. Yeah. And that's then what's awesome. your way of doing those things. It always I love that. Yeah. So what do you want? What's standing in your way to get there? And what actions do you need to take to get there? And then so you help them figure out those actions. 100%. I love that. Yeah. Right. That's, that's beautiful. Um, my last question to you is what advice do you have for those struggling with the pain and emotional roller coaster of divorce? And what do you think that they need to do to become the best versions of themselves for their children? I think it's really important to not rush through negative emotions. So I know we've spent a lot of time today talking about 
thoughts and how to manage thoughts and create new ways of thinking. But I actually think a really important part of that is I've heard one coach describe it as embrace the suck. Yes. I love embrace the suck. Yeah. Some days it's going to suck, but you're a human having a human experience. Yes. It's supposed to suck some of the time, a lot of the time. And so I guess I would say to people, don't numb it, don't avoid it, don't resist it, accept it, be present with it. And the fastest and really only effective way to the other side is through it. The only way out is through. It's my favorite. So my, my best friend and I always say AFGO, another fucking growth opportunity. It's here we go. We got another fucking growth opportunity. I guess we're going to get another one. I guess God thinks I have so many opportunities. Thank you so much. We are. How lucky are we? I know. Will you tell me the name of your book? I want my listeners to hear. My book is called Radiate. So it's spelled R-A-D-I and the number eight. Love. It's a play on words from the eight limb path of yoga. It's on Amazon. And And tell us about it. What's that? Tell, tell me about it. Yoga, the philosophical aspect of yoga really is an eight limb path. So the physical practice of yoga called asana is one eighth of this whole thing called yoga. But for most Western practitioners, that's all they know. And so the book is sort of a very um, simple guide to the other limbs and how they can change your life. Wow. It sounds amazing. You know, I had a blast writing it. I really just had so much fun with it. Well, if anybody would like to check out your website, Blue Tree Dash, is it called Dash when it's a little minus sign? I think that's a dash. Yep. Blue Tree Dash Coaching.com. Gorgeous yep. site, by the way. Thank Cindy, you. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you this so much. Carly, so thank you so thank much. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. Your five star rating and words really help in your corner divorce get seen by others. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and for the world around us. Have a great day.